Yes, our steady diet, of course, is preaching expositionally through whole books of the Bible. You know that. Um, But if we're going to do a topical sermon, this is one way to do it. Uh, We're going to take a theme. Today's January 1st, of course, and it's a day that people make resolutions or we're thinking about that. Um, So you take a topic, and what you're looking to do is to uh, seek biblical wisdom, to seek biblical discernment. And so that's what we'll be doing today. And uh, in a moment here, when I start, I'm going to read three texts, the third of which is Lamentations 3, 22 to 24, to just kind of shock you into this about what sort of frame of reference, what sort of foundation Christians have when thinking about resolutions, New Year's resolutions, or uh, something like that, making plans, that sort of thing. But first I wanted to ask... uh, um, Let's see, I, I preached something like this sermon, very close, I suppose, but, but it's been edited heavily this week. Um, on January 1st, 2012, I, is, that, is that, what is that, 11 years ago? Who, would, it, would it be okay for me to ask, uh, who was here 11 years ago? So what's that, like five of us, six, seven, maybe? of, you know, I don't know how many are here. So I just thought that'd be interesting to, to point out to you who are newer, and even if you've been here for 10 years, you, you, might, be, you might feel yourself um, to be somewhat new or something. Uh, but especially if you're here the, next, uh, the last few years, you might have the sense that the people who are here are people who've always been here or something like that. I've had that conversation with some of you. There's a sense that you could walk in here and, and think that this is a body of believers that largely has been here for decades. But that illustrates right there that, that that's just simply not the case. There's a turnover, and I wanted you to see that. You know, so as many people as are here today, maybe less than 10, well, quite a bit less than 10% were even here 11 years ago. Uh, so the turnover is quite, quite significant. Anyways, I did preach something like this, at least on this theme, 11 years ago on the same day, January 1st, and so we're looking at it again today. I'll be gone next Sunday. That's the plan. A man makes his plans, you know. Uh, I'll be away next Sunday, and then on the 15th, the plan is to pick up back in Romans at the end of chapter 13 of Romans the last three or four verses, and then on into 14. And I just recently decided to preach uh, and spent the the rest of my uh, book money before the year ran out. Excuse me. I'm going to preach through Matthew after uh, we finish Romans. So that's sort of in stone as much as those things can be. So, okay. Having said all of that, Let me read you three texts that will help frame this as we're looking for biblical wisdom on the question of resolutions. I want to read to you Ecclesiastes 5.4, Jeremiah 28.16, and then thirdly, I asked you to turn to Lamentations 3.22-24. Then we'll pray, and then I want to walk you through a, a consideration of biblical wisdom on resolutions. Ecclesiastes 5.4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. 
for he has no pleasure in fools. Jeremiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die. And Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Let's pray. Father, we look to You now in this turning of the years, at least for us in the way we count such things. And we want to think as Christians about this. We want to think of this cultural phenomenon uh, through the eyes of biblical discernment as Christians. And we know that we can't count on tomorrow, but that should it come, Your mercies will be there to meet us. And that You don't take pleasure in foolishly making vows. All these things are true. So help us to honor You in how we think about this, and help us to honor You with our planning, help us to honor You with our growing in, hopefully, biblical discernment. And as we think into the new year, help us to bring glory to You and honor as we think about making plans and um, resolutions even. So, Father, help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have four points today. It is not an expositional sermon, but there will be lots of texts throughout. Point one, New Year's resolutions, a cultural phenomenon. Well, so obviously, you know, it's January 1st. I've mentioned it many times, not that you needed me to tell you. Uh, It's that time of year again, the beginning of a new one. Many people and many Christians have made or maybe are about to make this afternoon (laughs) New Year's resolutions. And here's a top ten uh, list of modern American New Year's resolutions in case you think somehow you're unique or that your thoughts about what you might think you should commit to is somehow unique. Here's the top ten list. Spend more time with family and friends is number one. Fit in a bit more working out and fitness. Lose some weight, number three. Number four, quit smoking. Number five, enjoy life more. Number six, quit drinking. Number seven, get out of debt. Number eight, learn something new. Number nine, help others. Number ten, get organized. You sound familiar? There's nothing inherently wrong with these kinds of goals, is there? Not inherently. In fact, it's obviously true that if we were to change in these areas, that our quality of life would improve at some level in some way. If I lost a little weight, I'd sleep better. My A1C would go down. (laughs) I'd feel better. If a person gets out of debt, they will live more freely and potentially be able to to give more, to help others. 
If you were to get more organized, you would likely be less frustrated and more productive, so on and so forth. But there's something missing. Actually, there's a lot missing. I'm speaking here of the cultural phenomenon, New Year's resolutions, and the common things that are resolved and the motivation for resolving these things. What's Christian about it? For a Christian to resolve to lose 10 pounds, that may not be any different than a non-Christian resolving to lose 10 pounds. The motivation is often and very likely entirely self-centered, presumptuous, as if you can do it, as if you have the time to do it, life that is, and, and it's often made without reference to God at all, to Jesus, to the gospel, or, or to others. Point two, my question then. Can Christians make New Year's resolutions? That may seem like a silly question. Of course you can, but what I mean is, is it a good thing? Is it permissible? Is it advisable? Can Christians make New Year's resolutions? Ought they? First, I want to remove the phrase New Year's from the question. The reason for doing that is to try to help us to get to the heart of the matter and uncloud our vision of resolving by removing the cultural phenomenon bit. January 1st is not the first day to try to be a better person. The truth of the matter is that January 1st is simply the latest in a string of thousands of days of stopping and starting such things and, and even failing. And January 2nd will provide the same opportunity for our own strength to fail again and for our resolves of January 1st to fall flat again. And many of them do. I'm not telling you anything you don't know because they fail because we don't get to the heart of the matter. And so let's just take this day as it is. It happens to be January 1st, and we're asking the question, can Christians make resolutions? Ought they? Is it permissible? Is it good? Should Christians ever make resolutions at all? The second here, uh, I want to ask, well, what's a resolution? This may seem elementary, but I think that that's what we need to do, be elementary about this. What does it mean for a person to resolve something? This use of the word resolution or to be resolved means coming to a firm and determined decision to do something or not to do something, to behave in a certain manner or not to behave in a certain manner, to, to abide by certain principles, to, to resolutely choose a path, a direction, and pursue it with all one's might, to be resolute, to resolve that is a resolution. That is what it means to resolve to do this or that, to set one's face uh, towards the goal and try to reach the goal, come what may. Now, actually, as I've just sort of walked through that, perhaps some Christian um, bells and whistles go off for you. It actually does sound decidedly Christian how I just talked at least in framework language. In defining resolution, I feel kind of like I've almost 
at least begun to quote Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, James, the author to the Hebrews, Psalms, Proverbs. Let's put a finer point on it. And to do that, let's discern biblically here. Let me ask you a few questions, and then we'll answer it with texts. Are Christians to make promises? What do you think? And, and then are they to, to work to make good on them? Well, the psalmist, for one example, Psalm 119, 57, he writes, The Lord is my portion. So he's thinking Godward. He's, 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 he's talking about his, his, the Godwardness of his life. And then he says, I promise to keep your words. That seems like a good thing, a thing that's commended here in the Scriptures, to promise God to keep His words. Another question, are Christians to make plans? Well, Proverbs is full of calls to, to plan well. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. without counsel, plans, so it assumes the goodness of making plans. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 16.3, commit your work to the Lord and commit your plans, sorry, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established, that is, by God. Make plans, dedicate them to God, commit them to God. Make plans, be a planner with reference to God. Proverbs 24.27, prepare your work outside, get everything ready, in the field, and after that, build your house. Plan, prepare, move things around, get them ready. These are commendable things. Are Christians to make plans? Yes. Are Christians to look ahead? That's another question. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The prudent gives thought to his steps. He thinks ahead about where he's going and why and what's in his way. The prudent gives thought to his steps. So, continuing, are Christians to think about the decisions they make and the steps they take? Yes. Are Christians to press on then deliberately? Are they to deliberately choose this path and not that path, to build in this field and not that field, and to prepare for it? to deliberately choose this behavior and not that behavior, this direction and not that direction. Well, how can we read the New Testament without this being seen as part of the framework of the Christian life? We Christians are people on the way to, to, to even begin the conversation, and, and not any other way. It's a particular way, and not all the other ways. We press on in a certain direction and not any of the other directions. And we're to know that and plan and choose. We are to fix our eyes in a particular place and on a particular person and not anywhere or on anyone else. We are to pursue a certain kind of lifestyle, a certain kind of behaving, a certain kind of talking, a certain kind of dying, and not all the other kinds. Think, decide choose, plan. So, 
if all of this is true, then it seems to me that Christians are to people to be people who resolve, who resolve to do all sorts of things under the banner of one or two huge things as guided by God's Word according to God's revealed will in the Bible, that is. Christians are to be people who take stands, who fight sin, who seek change in their own lives and in the lives of others, who consider a goal, who pursue holiness, who are determined to become more and more like Jesus. So therefore, Christians are people who make resolutions. I mean, forget New Year's resolutions. Christians are people of resolve. But for some reason, the start of a new year inspires people much more than just the start of a new month or even a new week or even tomorrow, the second. The first is, we got to do it. The second, I don't know, we missed it, you know. I think it's okay to simply acknowledge this, even it's, if, if, if even its measure of silliness, uh, but to acknowledge this and even to harness it in our personal lives and our families and, and maybe even in the church. The start of a new year is a good time to plant a stake in the ground or to replant a stake or many stakes in the ground. But even so, we should want to elevate each day as a day to resolve, a day to be resolute in the whole of the Christian life as a life of resolve. Christians are people of resolve. Now the third point. So, we're progressing through an argument here. <clears throat> so, uh, third point is, so yes, I'm answering yes, can Christians make resolutions even, is it a good thing? Well, I'm, I'm saying yes, but now with a few key explanations and warnings. So yes, but now with a few key explanations and warnings. So again, for whatever my opinion is worth, as I consider broadly the whole counsel of God and, and biblical wisdom and trying to discern, I'm saying yes to making resolutions because Christians are people of resolve, whether or not you make much of the turn of one year to the next. We should be people of resolve with reference to God and the things of God and the Word of God. But there are some key explanations and warnings that perhaps would make our thinking on resolutions even more biblical, that is, Christian. Now, there's a flow even here in this little argument. The whole thing is an argument, but here I'm making a particular argument through point three. I think it's six, six uh, sections. They're each brief, and they build. One, doing better cannot save us. There's no sense in which we can say that we as Christians have saved ourselves. Jesus saves. We don't save ourselves. We do not contribute to that salvation, not one bit. Salvation is of the Lord. When Jesus does a thing, He does it all Himself, remember. The basis for our acceptance before God consists of nothing that we have added or could add. We are justified by God before God by the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ in His life and on the cross as confirmed by the resurrection, and we simply miraculously trust in Christ as Savior, and even the faith itself is a gift from God. Paul writing to the Philippian Christians, 
For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, so the believe was granted to you, but not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. In other words, even our faith is not to be understood as something we do to contribute to our salvation or earn any part of it. This is what we mean when we speak of the all-sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. He does it all. So doing better cannot save us. Resolving to be better cannot contribute to the basis for our salvation in Christ. And so it is sheer madness, in fact, to view the following through on resolutions as somehow contributing to our salvation. We cannot contribute to the finished work of Christ. We must have that settled in our minds and hearts as Christians, or we do not understand the cross, the gospel, or the Christian life and the place of our efforts and our works in it. And you will, you will think entirely worldly about resolutions. But maybe that point is obvious to you. That's like simple meat and potatoes for you. So let's push further. Next. Second, works, even doing better and better, do not commend us to God. In other words, it could be that in our hearts we resolve to do this or that, to pray more or to read the Bible more or to speak more graciously or whatever else. And we are somewhere deep down inside thinking that we will be more acceptable to God in the process. It's not that we think that we are contributing to our salvation in this case, but we do think that we are working up a, a righteousness in and of our own strength that makes up for past sins or makes it easier for us to come to Him in prayer. Like He'd be more likely to be happy when we show up saying, God, would you, would you do this or that? Or, or to hold our head up higher in church, we might think, if we fix this thing or do that more. If I pray, maybe people won't know, but I'll hold my head up higher in church. It's subtle, isn't it? But listen to Paul, Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Christian life by the Spirit, are you now, as a Christian, being perfected by the flesh? And he writes in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's just cutting off all this kind of thinking at the pass. We must get off of what Jerry Bridges so helpfully called the performance treadmill. You know, screw it up. God doesn't want to hear from me kind of start doing better, I'll sort of sheepishly come back into God's presence because he's, you know, I'm, I'm more commendable now. Uh, then you fall off the wagon, you know, as they say. You, you screw it up again. You kind of don't want, you know, God doesn't want to see me. You're not thinking it's about salvation, but you're living your Christian life that way, as if the things you do or don't do get you in or out of the family in, in a certain kind of way. We must get off of what Jerry Bridges so helpfully called the performance treadmill. And if making 
resolutions causes you to get even further onto the performance treadmill, then I would tell you to wait and get your theology fixed first. Get your head and heart fixed first and then resolve. In other words, before you resolve anything else, resolve to understand the basis of our standing before God and then to understand how our growth in holiness factors in, how sanctification relates to justification, if you will. And that is pretty heady theology, but it's very biblical. It's on many, many pages of it. You read through it if you read your Bible all the time. Seek to understand that better before you yet again make some sort of resolution that you think will get you into God's good graces again. That's not Christianity. We cannot contribute to our own salvation, and nor can we make God like us more by our performance. We cannot commend ourselves to God by doing good works. We must view our resolutions, the performance of them, our growth in holiness, all of this under the banner or the heading of fruit, not as the means by which we get God to like us, but the evidence that God is for us in our lives, entirely for us, the evidence of the fact that we have been born again and thus are in Christ all the way by His grace and that we are therefore totally accepted in His sight on the basis of Christ alone. Our steps of growth in holiness then, through good resolutions then, we take these steps because we love Jesus and we want to be more like Him and we love to see His purposes fulfilled and we like to see Him pleased. We like to see our Father pleased. We like to see His Father, Christ's Father and our Father glorified. Next step, three I think it is, we must not presume upon another year of life. We make New Year's resolutions to lose 10 pounds in 2023 when we know full well, or don't you know, that some brothers and sisters in Christ somewhere in the world will lose their heads in 2023. We ought to pay full mind to the possibility that we might die in 2023. You might. You know that, right? We must not presume upon the strength to carry out our resolutions. And it may not be that you die, but your resolution is to run five miles a day, but paralysis awaits you in May. You don't know. Nor should we assume that we will have the time to even give it a go. I resolve to do this or that by the fall. You don't have the fall today. On January 1st, 1761, on this date, over 250 years ago, the young preacher Samuel Davies preached a sermon at Princeton College based on Jeremiah 28.16, one of the texts I read before the, the sermon. That text says again, Therefore says, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth this year, you shall die. Davies said, quote, While we are entering upon the threshold of a new year, 
it may be proper for us to stand and pause and take a serious view of the occurrences that may happen to us this year, that we may be prepared to meet them, end quote. And then he went on to say that the fact of our death is as certain as that we now live, only we do not know when it will be this year or 50 years from now. But many will die in this coming year, he would say. Have we considered, I ask with him, that this year might be our year to pass on from this life to the next? I, by the way, I recommend this sermon to you. I can link it to you if you'd like. Samuel Davies again, uh, January 1st, 1761. Um, oh, oh, by the way, that's why I speak of Samuel Davies and his New Year's sermon on the certainty of death, and maybe it comes this year. Samuel Davies died one month later on February 4th at the age of 37. He essentially preached his own funeral sermon. We must not presume upon another day yet alone another year. Factor this in, brothers and sisters, to your plans, to your thoughts for the future, to your worship, and as you think about resolutions. We are not the owners of our lives or this earth or anything. Uh, Next is this, what is this one? I wish I had numbers for you. I bet it's four, isn't it? One, two, three, four. Yeah. Four or six. We must reckon with our motivation for wanting to change. Do you do that? Why do we want to change? Resolved to do this or that or the other thing. But why? To prove yourself to God? No, that must not be it. We've dealt with that briefly on a few levels. To prove yourself to others. Well, probably that won't end well, and for the Christian it is tantamount to spiritual poison, potentially, because your eyes will be fixed on the standards set by others and not those of Jesus. Your eyes will be fixed on the approval of others, and your eyes will not be fixed on Jesus. Your view of your own worth will be based on what others think and not on the biblical truths concerning Christ's own. You're measuring yourself against what others like and don't like. To prove yourself to yourself? Well, but this ends up in mere narcissism, likely, and moralism, and self-righteousness, and self-justification, and all of this ends horribly. The key to life is not to love yourself, or to approve of yourself, or to self-actualize, or discover the champion in you, or whatever else. The key to life is rather to live all of life with reference to God in Jesus Christ for His glory and your joy. That is the Christian's great purpose, to glorify God, to glorify God in becoming more and more like Jesus than displaying His supreme worth. Therefore, number five, and I get help here from Jonathan Edwards and then by way of John Piper. We must learn the secret of the unwasted life. 
the unwasted life. God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying His supreme excellence and worth in all the spheres of our lives. We push the reality of God's truth into all areas of our life. The wasted life, therefore, life is wasted when we do not live for the glory of God, and this means all of life. It's all for His glory. You know 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We waste our lives when we do not pray and think and dream and plan and resolve and work toward magnifying God, living with reference to God in Christ in all spheres of life. God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes Him look as worthy and magnificent and beautiful as He he really is. And I think you probably hear Edwards and Piper in there. Therefore, number six, in this uh, third overall point of, of four, just one short one left, this is the sixth level of argument here in the third point. Therefore, we should resolve big, but knowing that such a big resolving has 10,000 little implications daily and weekly and monthly. We should resolve big thinking about how it affects everything. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones talking like this. Quote, Never look back at your sins again. Say, it is finished, it is covered by the blood of Christ. That is your first step. Take that and finish with yourself and all this talk about goodness and look to the Lord Jesus Christ in full. It is only then that true happiness and joy are possible for you. What you need is not to make resolutions to live a better life, to start fasting and sweating and praying. No, you just begin to say, I rest my faith on Him alone who died for my transgressions to atone, end quote. You see, he thinks big with 10,000 implications for life. Do you see how big that is? Here's David Paulison, a great Christian counselor um, of the last several decades. He passed a couple years ago, I think. Quote, so are you making your New Year's resolutions? On this New Year's Eve, I've decided to make one for the first time in my life, and I'm making it public. I now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that I will endeavor to live as becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, end quote. <laughs> you see how big that is with 10,000 implications every day and month. Another way from a wise pastor, quote, make it your resolution this year to give up trying to be a Christian through your own efforts. Instead, isn't it a far more delightful thought to simply remember the steadfast love of the Lord and surrender yourself before His generous mercies which are new each day, all year long, end quote. You see how big that is with 
10,000 implications. You heard Lamentations 3 in there, I hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, there's a good resolution. I'm going to live there. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to put that before my attention every morning. His grace is sufficient for today's troubles. His mercies are new every morning. I want to think as befits a Christian. There's your resolution. That's a good one. Big. And no sermon called on resolutions, I think, would be complete, at least without reference to the great Jonathan Edwards and his 70 resolutions, which maybe you've heard about, which he wrote in the year 1722 and 1723 while he was finishing his schooling and ministry training. He was young. These were not New Year's resolutions. They were resolutions that he discerned were God-honoring, sort of like what we're doing today, just thinking about, okay, based on the scriptural truths, what would be a Christian way to think about this? And this is what he came up with. He sought to live these out the rest of his life. And he resolved big. He resolved big. That's why I'm bringing it in here. Edward's resolutions have one big aim, which is to bring every area of his life under subjection of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to rest in the sovereignty of God. He, he wanted to be intentional about that. He saw as the purpose of his life to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He's concerned that Christ has preeminence and that the Bible has priority in all that he does. He, does, he doesn't just say the Bible is authoritative and sufficient. He wants to press that into every area of his life. What does that mean? He wants his life, indeed all his days, weeks, and months, not to be squandered on even things that are good. Instead, he wants the best and commits himself to it. Let me read you a couple of them. Now, here's from his intro. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. Number one. Let me just share uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of His resolutions. And they're short little, you know, sentences or a paragraph. Number one. His number one. Resolved that I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit, and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general, resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, how many and how great soever. Number four, his fourth, I'm skipping, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. His number five, resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number six, his number six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. His number seven, resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Number, his number 28, resolved to study the Scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. 
and one more, his number 53, resolved to improve every opportunity when I am in the best and happiest frame of mind, to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in Him and consecrate myself wholly to Him, that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide, trust in my Redeemer. Well, I can't read them all, but in some you see how big he resolved with 10,000 implications every day. He resolved in the areas of mission, life mission, good, good, good works, time management, relationships, suffering, death, character. So you see that Christians resolve things. They do it wisely, but they do it big and always with reference to God. God-centered resolutions from a God-centered perspective, depending on strength from God to carry them out <clears throat> with eternity in view, that's good. That's good. These are earnest, weighty resolutions, if you will, made for the purpose of living a God-glorifying life in Christ. Now, fourth, and just a summary. So let me just sum it. <laughs> I guess it wouldn't have needed to be a fourth point. Let me sum those six for you. As you resolve, as you think about resolutions as a Christian, remember these six then. Doing better cannot save us. Works of doing better do not commend us to God. We must not presume upon another year of life. We must reckon with our motivation for wanting to change. We must learn the secret of the unwasted life, and we should resolve big with 10,000 little implications daily and weekly and monthly. We want to make so-called resolutions then, but as Christians, we want to be resolute. We want to be resolved, but as Christians. Resolve to glorify God. Resolve to magnify Christ. Resolve to abide in His Word. Resolve to trust in Him more and more. This is what Christians do. Christians are people of resolve because we trust in and follow Him who resolutely set His face toward Jerusalem. And this, we think of this on this communion Sunday. Jesus resolved to obey His Father and come to earth and march to the cross to save His people from their sins. And we resolve to pick up our cross and follow Him on the Calvary Road. In other words, we resolve to be Christians. To be a Christian is to resolve to be one. Well, uh, let me close just with a prayer. Someone turned, a person named Trevin Wax, years and years ago. Um, I guess it would have been around the time I preached on this theme then. <coughs> turned uh, Edwards' resolutions uh, in into a sort of a prayer for the new year. And we'll close with this as our closing prayer, and then we'll share communion together. Lord God Almighty, I, I understand that I am unable to do anything without your help. So I ask you to enable me, by your grace, to fulfill your will. Give me grace to do whatever brings most glory and honor to you. Pleasure and profit to me, and life and love to others. Help me to number my days 
spending my time wisely, living my life with all my might while I still have breath. Humble me in the knowledge that I am the chief of sinners. When I hear of the sins of others, help me not to look upon them with pride, but to look upon myself with shame, confessing my own sins to you. When I go through difficulties and trials, remind me of the pains of hell from which you have already delivered me. Place people in my path who need my help and give me a compassionate and generous spirit. Fill my heart with such love that I would never do anything out of a spirit of revenge (coughs) nor lose my temper with those around me. Hold my tongue when I am tempted to speak evil of others. Thank you for the gospel and for the hope of glory. Help me to live in light of these truths every day of my life so that when the time of my death arrives, I will rest assuredly in you and you will be most glorified in me. In Christ's name, amen. Let's pray ourselves here. Father, we thank you for this time of consideration of your word and how to think biblically, how to discern as Christians on this subject of resolutions. We pray, Father, that this would be honoring to you, and wherever there is, was something said that was not honoring to you, or off, or incorrect, untrue, pray, Father, that you would guard these people from it, and that you would guard them from me, and uh, that together you would help us to grow in our resolution to follow Christ, all by your grace. It's just as Paul said, your servant. I worked harder than them all, but it was not I. It was the grace of God that was with me. And so we look to you and we give you all the glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.